0: Hi, my name's uh, Professor Joshua Lingle, and I am speaking on Jesus and Islam and Christianity. In the next course, in Christian Apologetics to Islam course, uh, we're going to go into a much more in-depth view on the Islamic Jesus, but I want to present this to you now. So imagine with me for a moment that we live in a world that at the mention of Jesus' name, everyone gets an image of their mind of a Genghis Khan or Hitler or Stalin or something like that a steel-fisted, genocidal, all-conquering tyrant. It's hard, almost impossible for us to imagine, isn't it? Our minds shudder and revolt at this very idea about Jesus. And let's imagine another world, and in this one, when the name of Jesus is uttered, the image is a much more peaceful one. See, of Confucius or Buddha with his begging bowl or the proverbial mystic, uh, a semi legendary, harmless, poor old wise man, full of pithy but obscure, mysterious sayings. Now, that's a more pleasant picture, and it's a lot easier on the emotions. But as Christians, you find a party saying, Yeah, it's nice, it's nicer, but it's not right either. What's wrong with both of these pictures of Jesus? Well, clearly, neither of them are historical, and neither of them are true to centuries of Christians' experiences. The problem I want you to consider this afternoon is that for billions of people in the world, our Jesus, the real and historical Jesus, is as foreign to their thinking as the Genghis Khan Christ or a Hitler Christ is to ours. And this has eternal consequences. Incredible? Yes. But a very significant portion of humanity believes these things to be true about Jesus. Islam holds to the violent view of Jesus, while other faiths like Mormonism, Buddhism, and countless cults present a very different picture of Christ. And there's even a new Latino fellow whom has begun a series of churches that believes that he is Jesus. In fact, even the secular world has weighed in on the question with the radically revised Jesus popularized in the Da Vinci Cone written by Dan Brown. The crucial question these views bring to our attention today is this. When faced with multiple conflicting accounts regarding Jesus Christ's nature and ministry, how can we know that our Christ is the right one? In the short time, I wanna take you through a whirlwind survey of some of the most prevalent attacks on the Orthodox Christian view of Jesus. Islam is numerically the largest religion in the world that directly challenges the biblical view of Jesus. Today, there's 1.6 billion Muslims who are taught that the New Testament accounts of Jesus's life are corrupted, tarif. That Jesus was more of an Islamic prophet than a Christian savior and that he was not crucified and that he did not claim to be God. So today I wanna primarily respond to these attacks. Let's begin in the seventh century when a man by the name of Muhammad came to power within the Arabian Peninsula many of you know that muslim tradition claims that on a mountain just outside of mecca muhammad first received his revelation from allah through the angel gabriel this continued within various contexts over a 23-year period of time from uh, uh, 610 to 632 at his death and these revelations were later documented in what is known today as the quran and in later classes we will have full courses on the Quran and Christian apologetics to Islam and other courses that will uh, deal with that subject. Within these revelations, we find some amazing claims about Jesus. But before we look at uh, the Islamic Jesus, we must understand that Muslims do not look to our scriptures to learn about Jesus. Instead, they look to their own uh, scriptures and traditions. Many Muslims worldwide Hold that the New Testament has been corrupted and thus cannot be trusted for historical information. And this claim is not actually made within the Quran itself. It it originated later uh, as Muslims encountered Christians as they conquested into Syria, into North Africa and encountered Christians there and began to realize the incompatibility of the teachings of the Bible with that of the Quran, and of course, the Bible was not actually put into Arabic until the ninth century, so they would not have had access to it uh, until that later date, according to Dr. Sidney Griffiths, the leading Syriac scholar, uh, who, who, who says that about the Christian Bible. Now, the very same assertion of corruption of the scriptures appears in the highly fictional Da Vinci Code written by Dan Brown. The book has sold more than 50 million copies worldwide. And the central message of uh, Dan Brown communicates through his character is that the Bible represents a radically uh, corrupted, maliciously edited collection of ahistorical and politically motivated writings. Okay, so though the work is presented as a fiction, Its assertion regarding the Bible are presented as bald facts without the slightest balance or attempt at fairness. In response to both Islam's 1,400-year-old teaching and the more recent accusations against the Bible, we can, in fact, be confident that the New Testament provides the best historical record we have for the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, Just take a look at the vast amount of manuscript evidence. We have uh, multiple copies of ancient texts which do not deviate in message or their theology. There are approximately 25,000 manuscript fragments from which the text of the present Bible has been established. 230 of these New Testament manuscripts actually predate the Quran around 652 A.D., we do not have any original complete manuscripts of the much later seventh century Quran. We have to wait over 322 years after the time of Muhammad uh, to establish a complete manuscript of the Islamic holy book without any variants, fully dotted, fully vowed, and so on. And even when I checked with the scholar that made that statement, he had no official study had been done of that book to assure that uh, that manuscript was complete. So we're based on the 1924 text from Cairo for the Quran, which is an awful long time to wait to establish a text uh, of the the Islamic holy book. And so we wait for Muslims to produce for for us that early book. And the copies we do have in the Quran are variant, and they're different from the Quran we have today. As we look in our classes on Christian apologetics to Islam, in the next course, we'll study out textual variances that are actually in the manuscripts of the earliest Qurans that exist today. And in fact, later on in our sessions, Dr. Gerard Puin, the German scholar, Keith Small, and others will also go into courses on textual variances in the Qur'an. So, and this is important because Muslims hold to a very different view of inspiration than we do. They believe that their Qur'an is perfectly preserved with not a dot or a letter or missing or any variant whatsoever from almost all the Muslims across the world today. Unfortunately, their holy book does not hold up to these standards, and they, they apply these same standards to our Bible. So if there's even the smallest discrepancy between our manuscripts, they call it corrupted, tarif whatever uh, discrepancies exist between the various texts of the new testament can be attributed to errors in copying however not a single gospel doctrine or major practice is affected there's no evidence from any period of christian history that indicates that the text of the bible was any different from what we have today or what existed in muhammad's time in addition to the New Testament manuscripts, there are over 86,000 scriptural quotations from other early church fathers' uh, writings dating as early as 150 to 200 AD. Even if we didn't have any of the New Testament documents or manuscripts, we could reconstruct the entire New Testament from the early church fathers' writings except for 11 verses. And in Josh McDowell's class, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, And in the next course in Muslim evangelism with Jay Smith, they will cover these issues in greater detail. The reality is that if Muslims and skeptics like Dan Brown persist in their allegations that the text of the Bible has been altered and the burden of proof is actually on them, for us to believe them, they would need to first bring forth an uncorrupted original, more authentic uh, original than the text we presently have. Second, through reputable scholarship, they must show us who corrupted the original text. And third, they must demonstrate historically when the tampering actually occurred. And fourth, show exactly what the corruptions were as distinguished from the original. So they don't provide this proof, and instead they divert attention away from their lack of evidence by casting audacious and outrageous assertions at the Bible and Christians that our scriptures have been corrupted. Don't believe a word of it. The evidence is absolutely to pointing to the contrary. Nonetheless, Muslims turn to their Quran for a more accurate information about Jesus. Uh, they claim that the world had to wait 700 years until the time of Muhammad to learn what really happened in Jesus' life. Now. Of course, a book that is written 700 years after the life of an individual with no eyewitness accounts in a completely different geographical region, written in a completely different language, is not likely to provide a more accurate historical documentation for that person's life. Realizing that Islam's view of Jesus is not based on the best historical sources helps us understand why the Jesus of Islam looks very different from the Jesus in our Bible. The Quran and the Islamic traditions present some amazing embellishments that we find within Islam. His name is Isa. performed uh, some previously undocumented miracles. For example, the infant Isa was reported to have miraculously spoken from the, cl- uh, from the cradle. We find in Surah 19, Ayah 30 in the Quran, it says that the, ba- uh, that the baby Jesus speaks from a cradle saying, I am the servant of Allah. So here we find baby Jesus talking. And this is very different for us as Christians because we don't remember baby Jesus uh, speaking in that way. Also, do you remember when Jesus was a little boy and in the Bible, he created that clay bird and he brought it to life. He threw it up in the air and it flew off. Well, neither do I. Well, however, the Quran reports these events as well. So these embellishments, these inclusions Neither of these miracles are in the earliest records of Jesus's ministry found in the earliest historical materials of the gospels within the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and so on know nothing about these kinds of accretions and in uh, stories. However, both the stories of a cradle speaking Jesus and the clay bird are originally found in some later popular Christian literature from the 4th century, in the earliest versions of Christian fiction. Basically, after the New Testament was written, Christians in the 4th century became curious about the little that was said about Jesus' childhood. And as a result, popular literature, such as the Infancy Gospel of Thomas, were written at later dates. In the Infancy Gospel of Thomas, uh, Jesus is recording as saying, I am the Son of God. I am the son of God. However, 300 centuries later in Arabia, a very Islamic sounding baby Jesus speaks and says, quote, I am the servant of Allah. So you can see the change there from son of God to the servant of Allah. And in a similar manner, we find the child Jesus bringing clay birds to life in the Quran, and that's also found in the infancy gospel of Thomas. This does not surprise us, of course, since Muhammad and his followers were surrounded by Nestorians and uh, Eastern Christians in and around the Arabian Peninsula. Storytelling and oral traditions provided the entertainment of the day. So presumably, presumably <coughs> Muhammad would have heard these stories, and ultimately, they influenced the formation of Jesus in the Quran. Beyond these fictional parallels, we can learn further new things about Jesus within the Quran and the Islamic writings. One of my favorite stories uh, is when we learn that one night Muhammad flew to heaven on a winged horse and uh, meeting Jesus and other prophets in their celestial home. There in heaven, Muhammad goes up through this ladder where the Dome of the Rock was and he goes up uh, and meets with the lesser prophets, Isa, Jesus, Musa, Moses, Dawood, David, and led them all in Muslim prayer ritual. They also negotiated with the law to reduce their prayers from 50 prayers down to five in heaven, and that's why Muslims pray five times a day. And in fact, is why Muslims say they built the Dome, Dome of the Rock there in 691 under Abdul Malik to commemorate this night journey where he, the mirage, where he flies on the winged horse, on the Barak, the winged horse, to, uh, to Israel, and there. Uh, goes up and visits with the prophets. So it's a very different perspective on Jesus of history. We also learn about the future acts Jesus will perform from the Islamic traditions. For example, Jesus is a jihading warrior who will return on the day of judgment. We will recognize it's him because he will be, well, he'll be of medium height. Um, He has a reddish complexion, if you ever wondered what Jesus looked like. Uh, On that day, he will actually descend upon a white minaret on a mosque in the eastern part of Damascus. He will come with the sword to establish an Islamic state, a kilafa across the whole earth. He will stone adulterers and cut off thieves' hands. He will use physical force to destroy all faiths but Islam. And finally, according to Muslim tradition, he will invite the whole world, including Christians and Jews, to become Muslims. Strangely, this Jesus looks and sounds very much like Muhammad, a warrior prophet who establishes an Islamic state by violence. And this would make sense because within Muslim tradition, Jesus is Muhammad's forerunner. So what Jesus are the Muslims actually talking about here? It's clearly a fabricated and fictional Islamic Jesus, which is a far cry from a peaceful Jewish Messiah, a teacher, claiming to be Messiah in the first century Palestine. Just as the infancy gospel of Thomas is said to represent a popular snapshot or a picture or a photo of uh, popular Christian traditions about Jesus in the fourth and fifth century, so the same could be said of the Quran in the seventh century. The personification of Jesus is far too similar to fourth century apocryphal, forgery, literature, and seventh century Arabia to be credible. It is clearly not the Jesus of the very first century gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which all historical Jesus scholars today around the world agree, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the primary source material. If we know anything about Jesus, they are the primary source material for the historical Jesus. And the Quran and so on would be a a later source material that we would reject as a primary source for his life. Also, once again, the Quran and Islamic traditions are too far removed from the time of Christ to be a source for new information about the life of Jesus. And for this reason, we must reject their view. So So far, we have learned from the Islamic position that the New Testament does not provide accurate information about Christ and that the true Christ is an Islamic-looking forerunner to Muhammad. A third attack that we find in Islam against the historical Jesus is that he was not crucified. The passages in the Quran dealing with the death of Jesus says, quote, "...and because of their saying, we slew the Messiah, Jesus, Son of Mary, Allah's messenger, they slew him not, nor crucified him. But it appeared so unto them, they slew him not for certain. End quote. Surah 4, Ayah 157. Now based on this verse, the uh, almost universal belief of Muslims today is that the Jews thought they killed Christ, but in actuality they didn't. God instead made it to appear that he was killed by substituting someone else in his place on the cross to take his place, usually in the tafsir or the commentaries in the Islamic tradition, it is Judas. Instead of being crucified, Jesus was mysteriously taken up to heaven to return on the day of judgment. When Jesus returns, he will die a natural death. Now, I have major moral and philosophical problems with this view. Are we to to believe That according to Islam, that Allah deceived Jesus' followers in the beginning, including Jesus' own mother and men and women who had given up everything to follow him. Again, Allah made it only appear that Jesus was killed. The repercussions of that single act of deception are innumerable. Beginning with the martyred deaths of many of Jesus' disciples who died because of their belief in a crucified and risen savior. If the Muslim's view is correct, two billion adherents of the Christian faith today all wrongfully believe that Jesus died on the cross because Allah had deceived them. This Islamic view stands in stark denial to Paul's words, the Apostle Paul's words, in 1 Corinthians, we, uh, it says, quote, "We preach Christ crucified," 1 Corinthians: 123. For Christians, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus are pivotal events for the Christian faith. In fact, the Apostle Paul used Jesus' resurrection as proof of the Christian message. In Acts 17, Paul says that God, quote, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given him proof to this, uh, to all men, by raising Jesus from the dead. In verse 16. So putting this argument into a logical form, we arrive at the following. Premise number one, if Jesus rose from the dead, then his message was from God. Premise number two, Jesus did rise from the dead. Conclusion, therefore, his message was from God. If the crucifixion did not take place, neither did the resurrection. And if the resurrection did not occur, then, then it would be evident that Christ was not the Messiah, but a false prophet, and certainly not the Son of God. Also, if Christ did not die and thereby no resurrection took place, there would be no need for an atonement for all mankind, forgiveness of sins, or eternal life for you and for me. And this is a very, very significant issue. Without the crucifixion and resurrection, we have no foundation of the Christian faith. So how can we be confident that Jesus was actually crucified? Well, first, scholars today, even skeptical ones, consider the Gospels to be the primary historical sources about Jesus. And Jesus' crucifixion is reported in all four Gospels. Secondly, in the eyes of a historian, if... Biblical information about Jesus can be confirmed outside of the New Testament by his enemies or those unsympathetic or hostile witnesses to him is more certain to be true. Significantly, we find reports documenting the crucifixion of Jesus by Jewish, non-Christian writers such as Tacitus, Josephus, and Talmudic authors. Cornelius Tacitus was an unbeliever and a hostile witness who lived from AD 56 to 120. Tacitus was considered the greatest Roman historian of his time, holding a series of important administrative posts of the Roman government. In 116 AD, Tacitus wrote the Annals, which covers AD 14 to 68, and Histories, which covers AD 69 to 96. In these writings, he clearly shows his hostility towards the faith by referring to Christianity as, quote, a most mischievous superstition and referring to Christians as, quote, criminals who deserve extreme and exemplary punishment. But among his degrading comments, he writes this, quote, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite, Tortures on a class of uh, class hated for their uh, abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during his reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of the pro, uh, procreators. Pontius Pilate and a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of evil, but even in Rome. End quote. So we can learn from Cornelius Tacitus, an early hostile witness, that Pontius Pilate, during the reign of Tiberius, exacted some sort of punishment of extreme penalty upon Jesus, and because of this penalty, Christ suffered. Our next non-Christian witness is Flavius Josephus. He was alive during the time of the first disciples from the year 37 to 100 A.D., Josephus became the court historian for the emperor uh, Vespasian and writing a work entitled Jewish Wars from 80-75 to 80. And Jewish history is in the early 90s. It's clear from the writings of the Christian origin that Josephus did not accept Jesus as the Messiah. However, Josephus is reported in recording this uh, historical commentary, quote, Now there was about time, Uh, This time, Jesus, a wise man, for he was a doer of marvelous deeds, a teacher of such men as received the truth with, uh, with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. When Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal man amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day." Antiquities 18 and 3. So from Josephus' historical account, we can learn that Jesus was considered a wise man. Jesus performed many miracles. Jesus attracted Jews and Gentiles to himself. Pilate crucified Jesus at the suggestion of the Jewish leaders, and Christianity continued after Jesus' death. A final source that I want to examine is the Jewish Talmud. The Talmud is a later record of rabbinic discussions pertaining to Jewish law, customs, and history. The writers behind this work were clearly negative towards Jesus, and the Talmud has this to say, quote, On the eve of the Passover, Yeshua was hanged. He was practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apostasy, end quote. So just by these three non-Christian sources, Tacitus, Josephus, and the Talmud, we can establish that Jesus performed deeds that appeared miraculous, had followers who were Jews and Gentiles, he was crucified at the suggestion of Jewish leaders, and it was done on the eve of Passover and by Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius. Brothers and sisters, this is the same story we find in the New Testament Gospels, Tacitus and Josephus were alive within the first century of the life of Jesus. And the writings along with the critical Talmud reveal to us that we can trust the historical accounts of the New Testament as Jesus was indeed crucified. And consequently, we can reject the much later 7th century accounts of the Quran that he was not crucified. So clearly, on both historical and moral philosophical grounds, we cannot accept this claim and we have a firm ground and foundation to reject it. The fourth claim uh, that Muslims make is that despite even his miracles, Jesus is not divine. They'll even audaciously assert that he never claimed to be divine or the son of God or the son of man in the gospels. And numerous times I've been presented with this challenge uh, by my Muslim friends who say, show me where Jesus says I am God. Now, ultimately, they claim that Jesus is only a revered prophet and the forerunner to Muhammad's ministry as the final prophet. And that's usually the purpose of all the prophets was to focus on Muhammad. Numerous times in the Quran directly rebukes Christians for this view of Christ's divin- divinity. In Pictal, uh, the translation of the Quran in Surah 4, Ayah 171, it says, O people of the scriptures, do not exaggerate in your religion. The Messiah Isa, Jesus, son of Mary, was only a messenger of Allah. So believe in Allah and his messengers and say not three, cease, it is better for you. Allah is only one God. So the Da Vinci Code has also provided a modern challenge to our culture's understanding Christ's deity. Within the, pa- uh, the pages of his text, Brown writes, my dear, until that moment in history, when the scriptures were changed, Jesus was viewed by his followers as a moral prophet, a great and powerful man, but a man non- nonetheless a mortal," quote. So is this right? Was Jesus' claim to deity a later fabrication? Muslims in Dan Brown seem to think so. Because we have early manuscripts, the apostles' writings, we know that they have not been changed at some later time to make Jesus out to be God. What's left to determine is Christ's claims as they stand in the earliest and best available records, and that, of course, leaves us here with the New Testament. And here's what the New Testament uh, and his followers actually attested to. According to John 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, Jesus is eternal and creates all things. Paul also states uh, this belief in Colossians 1, verses 16 through 17. In Acts 7, verses 54 through 60, Luke writes that Jesus is prayed to. Jesus received worship in Matthew 2, in Matthew 14, and Matthew 28. Within the Jewish community, it was clear that only God was to be worshiped in Mark 2.2, 2, Mark 8, Mark 11, in Mark 14.33, in, 20, in uh, Matthew twenty eight nine and 17. Uh, John 9 and verse 35 through 37. Jesus is described as omnipresent in Matthew 28 and verse 20. Jesus has said, I am the resurrection and the life in John eleven twenty-five. 25. Jesus forgives sins in Matthew 9. The Jewish leaders who heard this revolted because only God has the power to forgive sins in Matthew 9 verses 1 through 7 and Luke 5 20 and seven forty-eight. The writers of uh, Hebrews attested that Jesus is the image of the invisible God in Hebrews one three. Further, Jesus is called God by the New Testament writers in John twenty twenty eight and Philippians two verses six or eleven. But one of the most explicit uh, uh, statements documented in the New Testament is found in John eight fifty eight. Here Jesus makes a proclamation about himself. Quote, Jesus said unto them before Abraham was born, I am. In the Greek, Jesus says, ego eimi. And the I am statement would have been very familiar to Jesus' audience. In Exodus 3.14, Jehovah God is sending Moses to Egypt. And Moses asks God, who should I say sent him? And God replies, you shall say that I am has sent you. We also find the I am statements in Isaiah 43, 10 through 13, where repeatedly God says, I am God. When comparing the translations of Jesus, the I am statement in John 8:58 with the Exodus and Isaiah verses, we find that the translations are identical. So in John 8:58, he's literally saying to the Jews, I am Jehovah, I am God. And it's absolutely clear that the Jews understood him because in the next verse, they pick up stones to stone him because he being a man claims to be God. According to Jewish law, it was only legal to stone a man. uh, Number one, if he was leading others to worship idolatry or idols. Number two, if he were a stubborn or rebellious adult, uh, adult son. Number three, for adultery or rape or four, for being a medium or psychic, or fifthly, for cursing or blasphemy. Clearly, if the Jews felt they had any grounds to stone Jesus, it was not for idolatry, psychic behaviors, or being rebellious. It was because they saw his words as blasphemy. But so as to not leave any doubt in John 10.33, we read Jesus asking the Jews in John 10. 32, it says, I showed you a many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? In John 10:33, it says, the Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. It's an incredible statement. And though Jesus is never recorded as stating the exact Aramaic equivalent of I am God, he did absolutely claim to be God. His words and actions loudly declared his self-proclamation as deity explicitly and implicitly. And if they were listening in Aramaic, they understood it because they picked up stones to stone him because he being a man claimed him to be God. So he doesn't use the English I am God, but they understood it as I am God in Aramaic. And that's why they picked up stones to kill him. So, his followers believed it, and the Jewish leaders of his day crucified him for it in Luke 22 and verse 70. Now, hiding behind the cloak of fiction, Dan Brown's uh, Da Vinci Code can avoid having to give specifics in its claim against Jesus' deity. There are allusions to documents being altered which reveal a historical fabrication. But which documents is Dan Brown talking about? He never quite tells us. Similarly, Islam hides behind the cloak of divine inspiration. So the authority is not based on historical facts and certainly not on historical evidence. Both the source materials for the Da Vinci Code and the Quran are too far removed from the life of Jesus to be able to claim whether he was revered as deity or not during the time in which he walked this earth. They simply are not historical source materials. But let's go back and look deeper into Islam. I believe that Islam's view of Christ in his deity is, an inadequate, is inadequate because the Quran's view of God's nature is vastly different than the Bible's. Islam's Allah uh, is a God who is distant and isolated, uh, secretive, impersonal, and capricious. Islam holds really an Aristotelian view of a distant God. It is not the personal relational God of the Bible where God compassionately and faithfully enters human affairs. He communicates not only his will, but himself. And in Dr. Sasan Tavasoli's class on Christian Muslim theological issues, he'll go through some of these issues about the concept of God in Islam and Christianity. But I find that in talking with Muslims, they often do not realize how different the Bible's view of God is from the Quran's view. I find they often expect the Bible to be the same as the Quran's view of Allah. However, this poses a major problem in speaking to your Muslim friends. When Muslims talk about their God, Allah, they're talking about a, a God that is primarily feared. There are no stories in the Quran where we find Allah entering the world to converse with humanity. In fact, humanity's access to Allah is through the revelation of one man, the prophet Muhammad. The Quran explains that Islam's God, Allah, does not love the unbelievers. The Bible's God is so different from a distant and a remote God of the ancient Greek philosophy of the Gnostic religions of the second to the eighth centuries and from Allah in Islam. He's a much more personal God. One who, while he is unique, is the unique creator and judge, and he's exalted over the universe, is also able and willing to enter into time and into space to reveal himself and his will to people and to love us. He's able to be personal with us so we can have a relationship with him. And this was the experience of the early church. Jesus was this God that the Bible records, walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He was this God who personally revealed himself to Jacob and in this personal angel, this person of, of an angel of the Lord where he wrestled with them. It was this God who accompanied the Israelites and Moses as a pillar of smoke throughout the day and a fire by night and led them out of Egypt. It was this God who indwelled Israel's kings and her prophets, through his spirit. And it was this God who came cloaked in human flesh as Jesus Christ. Our God is Emmanuel. He is God with us. So when Muslims ask me, Do you believe Jesus is God? If by that the Muslims mean, Do I think he is Allah as presented in the Quran, is he a distant God who does not love his creation, is not in relationship with his? Uh, people and seems to never show up in the midst of his people? Well, no. I do not think Jesus is that kind of God. Do I think that Jesus is Yahweh? Do as presented in the whole of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? Then the answer is a definite Yes. Jesus healed the sick, he cured the blind, he cast out demons and silenced the seas. He displayed his authority, which only God has over nature in his spiritual realm. He was and is God incarnate. He's the very God who personally revealed himself to you and I when we were saved. And the rejection of, of Christ's deity fundamentally undermines the one and only foundation and hope for eternal salvation. 600 years after the life of Jesus, A geographically isolated Arab named Muhammad brought forth a supposedly new and fresh revelation of Jesus who did not claim to be God, who was not crucified, and who will return again to call the world to Islam. And in the 21st century, our culture is challenging the divine credentials of Christ because of a fictional book rooted in apocryphal writings. Notably, all cults begin by distorting and changing the person of Jesus. And just as notably, the basic problem with all of these false claims and attacks on Jesus is that they are too far removed from the events of Christ's life to be historical. We found that, in, uh, that we can indeed trust our scriptures' representation of Christ because they have, been, uh, they have not been uh, corrupted. The wealth of manuscript evidence, we have attests to the reliability of the New Testament as a historical record for the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We can also reject the Islamic uh, claims of the Islamic Jesus who performs innovative miracles as outlandish and unhistorical, ahistorical, because it's rooted in apocryphal forgeries and writings. We can trust that Jesus was crucified because of the historical information exists by hostile witnesses. And finally, we know that Jesus claimed to be God through his self-understanding in the gospels. And ultimately, through our very own personal faith and experiences with the living God, we find that Christ did hold these divine qualities that he claimed. There are 77 references in the New Testament to Jesus being the son of God. And 55 of those uh, references uh, 77 references that Jesus is the son, and 55 of those references that he's the son of God. May I conclude by suggesting that the best way in which to personally defend our faith in Christ against the onslaught of world religions and cultural messages is to know deeply the Jesus of history, but not just the Jesus of history, but to know him personally. For it is only through the faith in the true jesus of history not the wisdom sage of jesus nor the sword wielding jesus but the historical jesus in the gospels is through faith in jesus that men are saved and it is this jesus that we must communicate to our muslim friends let's pray father we thank you that you say to test all things and to hold fast to that which is true and that some will bring false christ in the last days and that we are to look to the historical Jesus and the historical resurrection and the historical son who was sent as has been revealed and preserved for us in the gospels. And we trust you today to reveal that to our Muslim friends as we go forth and proclaim that to those who don't yet know him. We thank you for this, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.